Great is your faithfulness. We're so grateful that your mercies are new every single morning because we need them every single morning. So Holy Spirit, as we open your word, as we think about what you would have to say, not just what we would have to say, that you would speak to us. We believe that one of the unique aspects of our faith is that you are alive, Jesus. That your word tells us that you sat down at the right hand of the Father and that you are ruling and reigning and the things that are broken on this place, you are in the business of making all things new. And so we have the chance to join you in that renewal of all things. And so we ask that as we play our part, whether we're the toe or the knee or the eye or the hand, Father, that you would use us. Holy Spirit, that you would fill us. And that you would do more than we could ask or imagine. We love you. Most of all, we're thankful for Jesus today. We're thankful, Jesus, that you gave your life so that we could have life. That really, at the end of the day, the gospel is good news because we can be with you. And that we can live not just some life out in eternity someday with you, but that you are with us right now. That we can live our faith with you at this very moment because you are here. So we don't just sing that, we declare that and we believe that. And we trust that. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, you can be seated for a moment. You know, we're going to take some time uh, next week to kind of catch our breath. And celebrate some of the things that God has done over the last uh, six and a half years. And so don't think that that is not happening. We will do that. Uh, But we also want to slow down a hair and uh, celebrate with you uh, in that in that new moment um, and then take some time to pray over that. So next week will be a little bit different of a service uh, so I hope you'll be there. I hope you'll make plans because what's so fun about that is I think about everything that God's done over the last six and a half years, which was just a, was 100 percent his doing and his work and what he's doing as he opens a new door for Redeemer City Church. Um, you know, I, it boils down to, you know, the faces that are here, your face, your family, what that represents. You know, I think about. You know, Juliana baptizing you like right here and in the new building, you know, you'll get married. Like, how cool is that? Two sacred institutions that God created, right? Two ordinances, sacraments that the church has observed for thousands of years now. And uh, it's just just an amazing privilege uh, to do life together, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the body of Christ. Um, yeah, really just a powerful, humbling, all of the things. 
And so we'll take some time next week to slow down and thank the Lord for that and celebrate. And then also ask him uh, that he might do in our midst uh, what we think we can imagine but cannot. So hope you'll be there next week, 1030. It's going to be a great day gathered as God's people. Today, though, I want to continue our series in James. We're marching towards the end of it, and we're going to be in James chapter 4, so if you have a Bible, meet me there. But I want to start with another question. We've been asking a lot of questions uh, through the text and through the book of James, uh, different ones as we've studied. We've said, we've asked, how are you doing? Right? An important question. Another one, what do you want? Last week, are you divisive? Do you have divisive sins in your life? And the answer to that is a big Yes, because we're human. All right. And so we've been asking these questions, but James himself asks an incredibly important question in James chapter four. That I think we would do really well to slow down and listen to the question. The question he asks is this. What is life? This is like the most existential, most asked question of all time, right? Like, what is my life? Like, is there more to life than this? What happens to me when I die? Like, at the end of the day, like, we all stand back and we, we have to ponder the question at some point. Maybe you're like me and multiple points along the way. What is life? Maybe this week you just had these moments I know some of you are transitioning jobs or don't have a job or you you had a baby or you can't have a baby or like there's all the anxieties of life. And sometimes you just sit back and you go, what am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing with my life? What is life? An important question for many people. Maybe I would say most people life is, as we say in this country, the pursuit of happiness. Or more accurately, the pursuit of pleasure. The American ideal, straight from our Declaration of Independence, is that everyone, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet all of us have a collective, well, they've meant that for like only a few people. (laughs) Right? There's like caveats to that right these black eyes in our history that said actually that wasn't for everybody at that time and so we could talk about how is this country doing at giving all humans the right to life no okay right We could talk about how we're doing at giving all humans the right to liberty and not oppression. How are we doing? Talk about how we're doing at giving all humans the right to pursue happiness. And those are all important questions. And honestly, every single one of those would be worth wrestling with as a follower of Jesus and saying how through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the Holy Spirit, through the filling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, can I live In this country, the way Jesus has called me to live. Super important things that we'll probably get to at some point. Those are all important questions for Christians living in Babylon. 
to borrow a biblical analogy. But what I would like to offer to you today is to dig just one layer below that. Just dig one layer below that, below those hot issues, to the motives that we carry living out our lives. When you say the question, what is life? That is the answer to that for you without being covered in Christianese or whatever you think you're supposed to say. The ultimate uh, determining factor of that is underneath the issues of life. You're making decisions and you're doing things because you have certain motives that are driving that. One of the things that Jesus does when he says that, like when you come to Christ, when you are adopted into his family and old things pass away and all things become new, like sometimes we don't have handles for what that looks like. But what he's saying is we are removing all of those internal driving factors and we're filling you with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he says, all things become new because the driving factor in your soul is now the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What does that look like in your life? What is your life? Super important for us to ask because as Christians, the farther along we get down the road in our affluence and our secular moment, you might be tempted to think, that the driving factors in your life are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nothing wrong with those, and I hope you all have those. But Jesus said stuff like, pick up your cross and follow me. That doesn't sound happy. Jesus said, all who desire to live a godly life might suffer persecution. Is that what he said? It's not what he said. What did he say? He said, we will suffer persecution. He said stuff like, they hated me, they will hate you. So, tough, right? Because it is entirely possible for me to follow Jesus and never encounter any of that negativity. Tough. What is your life? a penetrating question. Maybe you're feeling guilty like I did when I first started reading this text on Monday, right? Maybe, maybe you're guilty because you could feel guilty for all the precious time, right? If life is so short, which we're going to read in a second here, it's like a vapor. How long does vapor last? Not like it's gone. It's here for a moment, then it's gone. Maybe you start to feel guilty about all the Netflix, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Reddit, Twitch, Disney Plus. You might be a dad. All right. I could go on, right? We could talk about my idols like the Philadelphia Phillies. Let's go. Too soon. Sorry. Or how terrible our Buccaneers are. Let's have a moment of prayer. I'm just Josh is like, yes, please. We could talk about all those things, right? Because in the moment, maybe they don't feel so crazy bad, but then maybe you look back and you start to tally those numbers up. And what is my life? The worst slash best thing ever that Apple did was tell me how much screen time I use. Wow. And it delivers to me on Sunday morning somehow. Come on. 
Like I needed any more help feeling guilty. Right? And, and that's just one area. Like we could, we could go on and on and we could dig through our lives. And, and really, I think James is inviting us to do that and asking, what is, what is my life? Because it can equally be good things like pursuing business and pleasure and making a difference and all these different things that, that are good. But good things that become God things become bad things. And so we need to sit with the question, what is my life? In fact, let's, let's just read it. Look at verse 13 and 14 of James chapter 4. Look at what he says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Life, business, good things, the pursuit of life, liberty and pleasure. But James shifts our perspective and he says this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Is that not the great equalizer? Is that not what we walked through in the pandemic? That in an instant, everything can change. When you get a diagnosis, when you get a phone call, everything can change in an instant. We all know that, but I'm wondering, do we live like that? I don't think we do with the scripture says that in a moment in the twinkling of an eye that Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout. Like, whoa, am I like, do I live in light of that? I don't. I am sorry to confess that even as your pastor, you pay me to live like that. And it's hard to live like that. It seems otherworldly or like, you're like, what does monasticism have to do offer the modern person? You're like, I don't know. But they seem more calm than I do. <laughs> right? And so we're, we're asking these questions. So James pushes even a little farther. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And then here it is. What is your life? What a question. What a question. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Powerful. You know, you think about those things that you're like, ah, dang, I'm, I waste a lot of my life. You know, I want you to be encouraged, too, because I think about Paul in Romans 7 bemoaning his natural flesh. Just bemoaning his natural flesh, saying things like, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. And then he just exasperated, complaining to the Lord, yelling to the Lord, says that line that we all resonate with. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, that's dramatic. And yet, who among us hasn't been there? Like, I, I just, I can't beat this sin. I can't get over this relationship. I can't. You fill in the blank. I just can't deal with. We've all been there. I can hear Paul complaining to the Lord. What is this life you've given to me? I know I can identify with that sentiment. So I believe what James is after here is pretty interesting for us to study. It's pretty interesting for us to sit with. And ask the question, because I don't think he sees the issue with us being what I just talked about, bait and switch. I don't think that's actually, I, I think you and I know those things and we need those things to be pointed out to us, right? Like, hey, 
Don't be lazy. Don't waste your time. The inner disciplines are the only way to intimacy with Jesus. Like you must do those things. We, like it's not legalism to say that you need to pray and read your Bible. Okay. And yet, what's James diving at here? I don't think he sees the issue with us being that we're too down on ourselves. No, I actually, in fact, think quite the opposite. He seems to see that most of us have the issue of being too high on ourselves and too low on God. Too high on ourselves and too low on God because it appears that most of us are out there making our plans and living our lives without considering where God is in the midst. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go do this and that. We'll spend a year there. We'll make some money. But you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Important. Let's just, let's just keep being real with each other. See, I tend to only feel bad about that list I read to you. Right here. Right? You tend probably to feel bad about that list most of the time when it's brought up to you, when you're caught in the act or when you're having that conversation. And, you know, we, we end up being embarrassed not because of the way we're acting, but because of the way we got caught while we were acting. I told you the story last week. Like, it's like it almost never fails like when you're like tailgating somebody and then you go, you're like, you go around them and you're like, oh, it's church member. Hey, Bob, love your car, bro. Just trying to get real close to see how, you're, see how it is. Right? Like, God just has that sense of humor, I think, right? Or you fly around somebody and then there they are at the next stoplight. Hey, nice to meet you. By the way, I'm a hypocrite, <laughs> right? And just like we just we wrestle with this stuff. What is my life? I think what James is doing here, and it's amazing, isn't it? Like in the context, like here's this group of Christians being persecuted, can't worship together like they normally would. They're scattered around, and James's central concern for them is that they would wrestle with, what is your life? Are you too busy doing the things of this world that you can't see God? Like they were under persecution. How much more for us that aren't? What is my life? My life is short. Listen to me. Your tombstone one day will have a start date and an end date. And the question that will be asked, what is your life? What did you do with that dash in the middle? What did you do with that? What did you do with it? In light of that central question, what is your life? I think James has two invitations and one principle for us in this text. Two invitations for you and I to consider and to wrestle with what is our life. And then I think there's one principle there that he is going to drive home for us. What is your life? But to set us up, let me read 15, 16, and 17, because you get the question in 13 and 14, the perspective in 13 and 14, but what's his answer to that? Because verse 15 says, instead, this is a word that matters here because he's saying, here's what we're doing, and instead, we ought to do 
this. Here's what he says. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Notice he doesn't say, stop doing this or that. You should still go to work tomorrow. You should still raise your kids. You should still witness to your friends and neighbors and coworkers. Well, you should still do all the things. Right? There's other scriptures for that. But the perspective with which we live our life matters. Because the highest value will inform, it will drip down to all the other values. And so he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do, or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her, it is sin. Pretty powerful words. Two invitations, one principle. Let's dive into them quickly. Number one, the first invitation that James makes is for you to shift your perspective from my will to God's will. And I think you should write that down. Like sometimes we need to write that out. Like my will, not God's will. Because that sounds good until you go to do it. Until you go to... I was going to give some examples, but I'm going to leave it. Because all of us, we know what that means. My will. I'm usually fighting for my will. Would you agree? I'm usually fighting for my will. Verse 15 says, you shouldn't do that. If the Lord wills, then I'll do this or that. Listen to what Psalm 73 verse 26 says. Here's what the psalm writer wrote. He said, my flesh and my heart may fail. Why should you not be so attached to your will? Because you are a hypocrite, you're fickle, you're a sinner. And then sometimes you do really great stuff. My flesh and my heart, they may fail. In fact, they do fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, see, living God's will is the way that you live in a strong fashion. And he's the reward at the end of that. He's both the channel in which you drive towards that and he's the destination. Does that make sense? My flesh and my heart are going to fail. They're going to fail me. I'm going to want things that when I get them, they are not going to deliver on their promise. I'm going to desire things that are not going to satisfy me when I get them. And I know that. And yet I still chase that. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says this about this invitation that uh, James gives to us to participate in the life of Christ. He says, we are not begotten by God. We are only made by him. In our natural state, in our flesh, we are not sons of God. We have not got spiritual life, only biological life, which is presently going to run down and die. The whole offer of Christianity or which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, 
Come share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which has always existed and always will exist. Powerful. That if we shift our perspective, if we surrender, that if we submit to God's way and will, we will find a life that is not made, but is begotten to us. How beautiful is that? Listen, some of you are making a life that is awesome. But I wonder, does it satisfy in the way that if you would surrender and live in Christ, that His way and His will would lead you toward righteousness? How satisfied you would be every morning and evening. A shift in our perspective. If life is so short, then I simply do not have time for the desires of my flesh to compete with the desires that God has to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm talking to us right now because I struggle with this. I struggle with this. Perhaps this is one of the reasons that James has so much to say about economic equality in this book. Because it is the earthy, tangible work of God in the world. Does the work of God in your life cause you to look to the good of other people? It might be the most basic, tangible way to see if you're living and walking with God. Because we are constantly told to love one another, to outdo one another, Romans 12, and showing each other honor. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. We love because he first loved us. Jesus said, oh, that God, your people would dwell in unity. Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane prayed to the father, not my will, but yours. I mean, if anybody had a straw to play in the my will be done, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, if anybody had a had something to say. And he didn't. It, it, he was so overcome with anxiety that he was sweating blood. Not my will, but yours. You see what I think James is doing? The brother of our Lord is gently pastoring us back to a faithful view of life. If the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. The invitation is for us to shift our perspective from my will to God's will. Number two, on the heels of that, the invitation is to choose humility. To choose humility. Look at verse 16. Instead, okay, you Lord wills, verse 16, as it is, in your current state, he's saying, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Look back at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, part of this is trust. That if I will go low, God will bring me high, right? But so many of us don't have that muscle of trust. Because we actually think we're doing fine as Lord of our life. And we're not. We're not. Choose humility. Isn't it interesting that exalting you is still the goal? Isn't that fascinating? 
like exalting you is still what God wants to do. He's just saying, I don't want you to exalt you. He said, let me exalt you. And guess what? Our version of the best is often so, so much worse. We're settling for a less version of what God is willing to do in our life. Humility. One is pride. God opposes that. If you go back to verse uh, 6, it says he gives more grace. So God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's two choices here. Choose humility, and God wants to reward that. It's so hard for me. (laughs) This is a theme here. It's just hard. This is hard, right? I like when you like my sermons. I like when my wife thinks I'm a stud. I like when my kids think their dad can beat up everyone else's dad, right? Those are just silly examples, but we 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 could dive into real ones, right? Where we like the approval of men. We like the Instagram likes, the YouTube followers. We, we like those things and they feed us, but they feed us in an unhealthy way. L- listen to me. James tells us not, 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 only, not only is liking them slippery, he says it's evil. Think about that. Evil. He says all such boasting is evil. Man. Arrogance is evil. That we would choose to go low. That we would choose to be low. That's so difficult. But so worth it. That we would be low before the Lord. Because why is that important? Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Right? It's not just that we go low anywhere for the sake of going low. Right? Right? We don't just go low because we're going low to hide because we're an introvert. No, no, no. It says go low where? Before the Lord. Go low before the Lord. Not my will, but yours. Go low before the Lord. Choose humility before God. And it says that he will exalt you. That's a real and true promise from God. That if you will humble yourself before the Lord, he'll exalt you. How many of us are experiencing the exaltation of God in our life? So finally, the principle that I think comes at the end of those things. The principle is this, number three, with knowledge comes responsibility. With knowledge comes responsibility. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. To know those things and to not do those things, James says, is to know what is right and good and true and to not do them is sin. What is life? (laughs) What is life? We're coming full circle now. What is your life? To have the knowledge and invitation to share in the life of Christ and fail to do it would be a tragedy of epic proportions. To know the right thing to do and fail to do them is sinful. The term sin in scripture is an archery term and it means missing the mark that you were created for. You have a purpose. God created you. 
and wants to work through you. The way we do right, according to James here, is to humble ourselves, draw near to God, purify our hearts, hands, and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. There is great purpose in front of you, my friends. Tons of life and hope and joy and significance, but it probably isn't found in the things that you're chasing. Those things can do that, but only if they're submitted under the authority of Jesus. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So two questions as we close and I'll be done. Will you humble yourself before the Lord today? Will you? Because that is ultimately the decision that James is passing back across the table to you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll exalt you. And then this, what God is calling you to may not be easy, but it will still be worth it. And so I just, I just want to, I, I actually want to end with that cliffhanger. I actually want you to walk out of this place with that on your heart. A lot of times we try to try to tie that knot as you walk out of here. And I don't want to tie that knot for you. I want you to walk out of here thinking, how might I supposed to be humbling myself before the Lord today? Now, maybe, you know, right away and the band's going to come up, come on up and we're going to sing the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. And so maybe you already know, I know where I'm supposed to humble myself before the Lord. If you know that, I want you to sing that song as a prayer with all your heart. But maybe you need to wrestle with that some more. Maybe you need to wrestle with that. Now I want to invite you to wrestle. I'm not going to solve that tension for you today. I want you to wrestle. Maybe you're not a Christian today and you know you should be. (laughs) I think a lot of times we make a lot of excuses To just push it off one more week or one more day. And I just want to tell you that Jesus took nails in his hands and in his feet and a sword to his side. And he died a bloody, terrible death. So that three days later he could rise again. So that you sitting here or watching online would have the moment to be able to surrender to him and confess him as Lord. Today is the day. So wherever you are. On that spectrum of belief. I want to invite you to stand with me now. And as we sing this song. I want you to sing it as a prayer. I have decided. To follow Jesus. And don't you love those words? No turning back. No turning back. Not because. We have some kind of intestinal fortitude. That nobody else does. We don't. We've made that clear. But because if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, the Bible says he will lift us up. Amen. So come on, let's sing this out as a prayer to him.